Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Welcome to episode 84 of the Highly Relevant Podcast. I am your host, Jack Rico, and on this episode, I talk to Luis Miguel Echegaray. If you don't know who he is, he is the head of Latino content at Sports Illustrated about who had the better World Cup TV coverage, Telemundo or Fox, as well as the factors behind the ratings drop and why Hispanic teams had a terrible turnout this year. Also, film and culture critic Mike Sargent joins me to debate Skyscraper. It's the new homage to 70s disaster movie starring Dwayne The Rock Johnson. I think it's the worst movie of the year, while Mike lauds it for how enjoyable and fun it was. This leads me to the question, when does the line blur between a bad movie and a bad fun movie? Stick around. We begin with Luis Miguel Echegaray and World Cup Talk. I'm here now with Luis Miguel Echegaray. He's the head of content at Sports Illustrated Latino. Three things I particularly wanted to talk to you about today. And one of them was, number one, talk about this ratings decline that has been all over the news from the Wall Street Journal to the New York Times. Uh, Also wanted to talk to you about the acting. Probably one of the biggest things that have come out of the World Cup is Neymar's acting. Uh, It's been part of memes. We've seen it uh, throughout the whole tournament. And then finally, the fact that no Hispanics even got to to the semifinals, which is incredible, especially in a year where uh, Messi and Ronaldo and Neymar were, according to everyone, number one, number two, and number three in the world. So wanted to kind of start the interview with how the heck did Hispanic teams not make it to the semifinals this 2018 World Cup? <laughs> oh, man, you started with a, with a tough one. I had to, man. Uh, I had to. For us <laughs> Latinos, man, this is embarrassing. This is humiliating that no team from the Americas was able to compete even in the top four. Well, I think there are three things that specifically sort of can maybe generalize and answer the question. One is we have to remember that when you know you look at the makeup of the players within every squad, if the majority of them, and this is something that uh, Juan Carlos Osorio, Mexico's uh, coach at this moment, Mexico's current coach, we'll see what happens in a few weeks, but at this moment, what he says which is he, he, you know, the priority to focus on the best leagues in the world, to play your daily club domestic soccer in European leagues is so valuable that by the time you come together as a unit from a national team perspective, it's going to help you tremendously. So when you look at 
Mexico, Peru, even Argentina, and Brazil, who really had a few players playing in the Chinese league. When you look at all these teams, you know, you're going to succeed more with the better leagues that you play. Now, I'm not I'm not minimizing the, the value of South American or Central American leagues. I think they're great and they're growing. But we can safely say that when you're playing in La Liga or the Premiership, it's going to be a huge advantage. When you think about England, every single player in England plays in the Premier League. Belgium, almost the same. France, you have La Liga, the Premier League as well. So, you know, they're focused on European so much. So that's one. Number two is the you know, the level of quality that you have both from their own federations. The Argentinian Football Association, Jack, mm-hmm. is a joke. The it's an absolute joke. They, first of all, Argentina is a great example. They wanted to organize two friendlies, uh, and I think we talked about this before the Colombia they wanted to organize two friendlies. One was with Nicaragua. Like, what are you doing organizing a friendly with Nicaragua, <laughs> right? right? The second is trying to organize a friendly with Israel, right? So both of them obviously got canceled. So that meant that Argentina played a grand total of three friendlies uh, leading up to the World Cup in 2018. And that was, by the way, was the same with Colombia. Here's what I think. I particularly think that the star players of these Latin American nations, including uh, the Hispanic ones in Portugal and, uh, and Spain, but mostly the Latin American nations, all the star players underachieved. Where was Keylor Navas? How come he wasn't the best goalkeeper uh, coming into this World Cup? Because he won the Champions League. He was untouchable d- during the regular season and in, in, in other t- types of tournaments. Messi was nowhere to be seen. Who, who was Messi? Who, wh- what kind of player? How can we call him the best player in the world? Maybe he's now officially the greatest regular season player in the world, but there's no way you can call this guy a winner. Can't even win a Copa America in Argentina. This is well, sad. That's another podcast, I think, Jack. And I'm going to be very diplomatic about that one, but I'm going to tell you this, though. I'm gonna, I will say this to you, okay? The problem is, the other issue, though, is that I think that these federations are not thinking properly about the lead up to a grand tournament. They're thinking about the tournament itself. Mm -hmm. So when you look at your England, which by the way is not a coincidence, actually, if you look at the overall structure of the English game in terms of youth system, almost, I mean, I tweeted about this last year in 2017, Almost every single age group, like the under 20s, under 21s, under 19s, under 17s, they either reached the semifinal or they won the entire tournament. We're talking like World Cup and European Cup, right? So it's like there's there's already a thinking behind what to think about the future, what to think about the present, and planning really well accordingly what to do in the lead up to the World Cup. I think Peru actually did the best out of every nation, taking in mind that it hasn't been at the World Cup in 36 years. It performed so well, a great coach, the federation has finally woken up. And that actually is not the same for every other team that's happening. There's so and Argentina is such a good example. There is such a terrible, you know, lack of you know, leadership in the federation. That's what it is. And Messi is not a leader. He is just not the type of leader that Maradona was, for example. Well, this is soccer. This is not the NBA. You can't just have one superstar. You need an entire cohesive unit that at least knows how to work. I understand that. I understand that, Luis. But, for example, today we were watching Pogba. 
He's a leader on the field. He goes back. He defends. He attacks. He sets up. He builds up. He talks to his players. That is but a when leader. You look at, but when you look at France, though, it's very. <laughs> this is like a team that's overwhelmingly talented. Every single player, and I'm even including the bench, is not just a good player, but they could start for any other nation. Mm -hmm. I think that there's a clear difference between you know trying to create the levels of development within Europe and South America. And by the way, this is not a blame on these leagues in South America. There's obviously such a difference in both economic and, you know, um, you know, technical standpoints when it comes to do these two leagues. You can't compare La Liga in Spain to, you know, Peru's Primera División. You just can't do that, right? But there are there's more context to it. And also there's also the argument about Yes, these teams reached the semifinals, and I completely agree. I think it was a really disheartening, terrible performance from Latin American nations. But there were other teams like, you know, in South and Central America that really deserved to be in the knockout stages, but didn't because at the end of the day, they didn't get the end, you know, the result. All right, so let's begin with Uruguay. Uruguay yeah. almost could have made it. They've made it to the quarterfinals so many times already. We're almost like used to it. Cavani goes out. So an injury prevented that team from even being more competitive. Spain, yeah, Cavani was a big loss. Yeah. Spain, I was in Spain when they got eliminated by Russia. Uh, yeah. I've heard theories, and I'm not saying these are legitimate, but there's it's what people are saying, that Russia was doping. Because how is it that on the 108th <laughs> minute, you're running, like, balls out? Like, well, how, you didn't how, even how, need that. You didn't even need that game to have that kind of uh, rumors going around. That that, that already was existing right. That that was, that was already legitimate, in fact. But in this particular so, World Cup, you, you know, there was talk about that, um, and obviously Spain underperformed, underachieved. Yeah. Portugal, after the first game, you thought Ronaldo was just going to, you know, be banging three goals a game. That didn't necessarily happen. You're starting to see his age, his stamina just isn't there. Messi was a no show, and that's probably it for him. Uh, Brazil and Neymar, once again, they, they get to the finals, but something happened. There was a lack of cohesiveness. That team wasn't clicking. Costa Rica, which in the previous World Cup had gone far, now was a no-show. Panama, uh, which after Mexico well, was like... the first ever World Cup. During the CONCACAF, Panama took out, I think it was the United States, eliminated them, and was top three in, in, in America. Yeah, um, it was always going to be difficult for them. Though. Right. I mean, England, Belgium, Tunisia. I mean, that's a really difficult... Uh, Colombia you know, didn't have James. And you know that if James was playing in the second game, just because of what we had seen in the second game when he did play in that incredible pass, I mean, talk about a leader. Uh, mm. We could have had a better shot before they got eliminated. Uh, then you got Mexico, which is a head-scratcher. What the heck happened to this team? This team had all the factors, had the momentum going. And they just, they just caved in under the pressure. What happened yeah. to this Mexico team that they couldn't get through? Here's the thing. I think that the biggest problem with Mexico was that Juan Carlos Osorio refused to go back to all the good things that he did against Germany tactically and therefore shot themselves in the foot. I think that... Not a, Brazil's loss was obviously tough, but the bigger one was Sweden, because Sweden really indicated 
exactly what could have happened after you reached the group phases. As a result of that loss to Sweden, Mexico came runner-up, mm-hmm. right? So had Mexico won it, maybe the momentum and confidence would have been better. Also, the approach for Mexico in the round of 16, I thought Juan Carlos Osorio did a terrible job. If you go back and watch Mexico against Germany, mm-hmm. one of the reasons why Mexico defeated Germany was because Mexico didn't allow Germany to play its game in the middle of the field. It was intoxicating Germany at every opportunity. It was pressing them. And by the end of the 90 minutes, Mexico was so tired it couldn't breathe, but it got the job done. It didn't do that against Brazil. It actually waited for Brazil to come to them and hope for the counterattack. So there were many things, I think, tactically that Osorio got wrong. And I think that was a big problem. But the biggest one was the fact that I think that mentally, mentally, Mexico was trying to rely on the fact that, well, you know, they beat South Korea, they beat Germany. If they can just get a point against Sweden, then they'll be fine. But they put their foot off the pedal so much that they lost 3 nothing. If you had to summarize why our Hispanic teams, which were 10 of them, couldn't even get through to the semifinals or even the, or mostly the quarterfinals, why was that? I have to go back to where these players are playing domestically. And I have to go back to what their federations and their own squads from all the way from management to fitness coaches are doing in preparation for a tournament like this. And I think if you really look down intricately, you're going to have your answer. Do you think that 2014 Argentina did something different that they went to the finals against Germany? Well, I think I think there was a there was a much more cohesive unit from the federation leading up to 2014. Also, remember Brazil didn't need to qualify, so in many ways the qualifying campaign was an easier path in terms of trying to look at what their best team was. Messi was younger. You had Iguain that was playing better. I think you you know Mascherano was also playing better. I think that in many ways that was actually the right peak of their time mm. to try and make it to the final. Now, coming into 2019, you had such, and this is actually something that I said before the tournament started when we found out the squad was out. The defensive midfield unit of Argentina was so old. Like, how are you going to keep up with, you know, such talent that's out there? And, and that's exactly what happened. So 2014 was a peak time for them. Now, as you said, this like was probably Messi's last, you know, chance ever. And San Paoli was absolutely just completely lost in this job. He really didn't, shouldn't have even been, you know, uh, thought of being the manager. So let's move on to acting at the World Cup. One of the key viral moments of this World Cup was Neymar uh, barely being touched by a player from Mexico, and uh, I believe it was Layun, and him rolling over <laughs> as if he got shot from 10 different angles. Uh, by by snipers, it, it was it was laughable. What is it about these players that they feel that they have to act in such an exaggerated and theatrical manner to 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 get a call? Well, first of all, if you if you look at if you look at Neymar's entire career, and I'm not saying he dived all the time, but if you go all the way back to Santos, like what one of his biggest, you know. Uh, lack of a better word, talent is to draw you in and play the mind games on you so much that 
his acting almost becomes art because he's trying to get you frustrated and it worked every time. Uh, I had a bit, obviously there was an issue with the, with the diving and everything, but if you're an NBA fan, okay. And even in moments in other sports, like even the NFL, like give me a break because this is not the only sport that commits these kinds of incidents. It's just, it's looked at much more microscopically in soccer because the game stops so often whenever that happens. Right. But Having said all that, I think I had a bigger problem with Neymar's, uh, you know, he was coming back from an injury and honestly, he just wasn't a hundred percent. And there were so many moments when I thought he should have just come off anyway. And I think the diving was actually a result of that frustration that he knew he wasn't a hundred percent. He just knew it. You just saw in so many games, especially again, especially the opening match against Switzerland, like there was, you know, a moment when. Um, you know, it was about 65 minutes in and Neymar should have come off, but he just wouldn't and he didn't. And actually, I don't know if it was a Tite fault, Coach Tite or Neymar himself telling him that he's fit enough, but he clearly wasn't the player that he was. And I think the extra diving was a result of that. I think that this diving theatrics that a lot of these soccer players do at the stage of the World Cup is insulting to the fan. Um, it's offensive to the defender. They really work hard in going for the ball. But when you have players, especially when it's star players, diving at this level, I think it takes away from the game. And I think that more than any other World Cup that I've seen, this was one of the more embarrassing, humiliating uh, ways of attracting more, more fans to watch the game. Because what kind of credibility do you have if you want I mean, to attract listen. new fans? There were worse World Cups with worse divings. It's just that because we have social media and we can easily just look at a replay a thousand miles an hour and a million times. But, you know, there's definitely, there. Were, I mean, come on, do you remember Rivaldo? Oh, well, Pepe también, you know, back in 2014, same, same there. You know, it does, you know, take away some of the rhythm, momentum and beauty of the game in itself. And then finally, we have to talk about the ratings decline that we've been seeing from the beginning of the World Cup. Is is it the fact that no people are no longer interested in soccer in the United States because the USA has was the USA not being a part of the World Cup that significant? And if it was, why did it affect Telemundo? Yeah, I think this is a topic that you are definitely uh, going to be able to add even more color to it. But my personal opinion is, I, I, I mean, listen, obviously we, we would be fools to say that the U.S. not being in it doesn't make any kind of an impact. Of course it does. There are many non-Latino fans who have no background or relationship with a Hispanic nation, you know, whether you're Colombian-American, Peruvian-American or whatever, right, that doesn't care about the game, uh, you know, and if the World Cup's on and the U.S. isn't in it, then forget it, right? So you can say definitely that there's an impact there. Absolutely. I think another big factor, though, is that we live in a time when, you know, our consumption of the game is no longer just limited to um, watching it on TV or even on an app. I think that many, especially the younger generation, some probably don't even watch the game, but they watch the highlights of the game. Just like when you watch, when you go on Twitter and the NBA literally just shows you like the best plays. That's what Telemundo and Fox were doing, right? They were just showing you like certain highlights. I think that many of us, especially the younger generation, are probably not even watching the entire thing. Our attention span 
is so different now, right? But the other reason that I think hasn't been spoken to is, and, and no, soccer is growing. That's definitely a fact. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it may not be growing at the pace that many think, or maybe because we compare it so much to the NFL, which is obviously the giant of this country. Right. But it is absolutely growing. I mean, that's an absolute. Not only is it the most popular sport from a participation perspective, but the numbers, especially from the 12 year olds to the 19 year olds, is now on par and just above MLB. That will even get bigger in the next, you know, 10 years, five years. But it's not growing at the pace that most are thinking. I think the biggest issue, though, was. If you're trying to promote the World Cup, you can't just focus on Lionel Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo. You can't do that. So you, you think that tr- one of the problems was that Telemundo and Fox didn't build other stars uh, the way maybe the Olympics does? Yeah, exactly. I think Telemundo did a better job because I think Telemundo really was trying not to focus on Messi and Ronaldo. In fact, I wrote about it. Like I think it was trying to focus more on the culture of the game and trying to celebrate the Latino nations and Hispanic nations from a Spanish perspective, obviously with Andres Cantor being the, the, the name that he is. I think Fox was really, I mean, if you look at the opening trailer, you know, promoting the World Cup, it was trying to be so Hollywood and focus on Ronaldo and Messi. But the problem is, is like, that's nice for filter. That's nice to feed your brain for like 10 minutes, but to educate people on the game is much harder and that takes longer than just a commercial and that's what i think we need more of so you know if you wanted to promote this world cup why wouldn't have we focus more on the community perspective of it how many kids around this country black white brown all playing the game and loving the game i think that would have been a much better perspective i mean obviously we want to you know talk about the big nations and the big stars but why not also you know talk about the landscape of the U.S. and what it means for just, you know, these uh, different generations and what the game means to them. I think it's m- harder to try and educate people in the game than just merely celebrate it. Do you think that the time schedule had anything to yeah. do with it? Yeah, I think so, for sure. I mean, if you think about Brazil 2014, the earliest game was at 11.30 a.m., 12 p.m. lunchtime, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas Europe, in the group stages, the first Saturday was 6 a.m., the first game. Like, there's no way that many people that are not hardcore soccer nerds, as you and I call each other, um, are going to wake up for that, right? Right. They'll probably be be up for the 10 a.m. game. So in 2014, the earliest game was at 11.30 in the morning. That's pretty good, right? And then you had like a 6 p.m. game, people getting out of work, whatever. This, the last game, was 2 p.m. Would you agree with the notion in something that I saw the Olympics do just a few years ago? where they would record and tape some of the primetime matches and then delay it for primetime viewing. Yeah, I love that idea. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I do, actually. And I think, you know, when I was thinking during during this whole tournament, now as you're asking me this question, I was actually thinking about it. um, And I totally forgot until you literally just reminded me. Something that the Olympics, aside from just that, but what they did really well was they they did a really great sort of like, here's our recap of what happened all day. And fair enough, because the Olympics is so long, like it probably was like an hour and a half. But imagine if you like in the group stages, Telemundo and Fox, both, because they did have, Fox had a nightly show and Telemundo had like some kind of show at the end as well. But it wasn't, 
what really could have helped them was every evening in the group stages just have like a hour or 40 minute great highlight show and it gives you literally every game like all in nice one little package telemundo didn't do that no it didn't and they, fox yeah. fox also really didn't they had a show that was more variety style it was, yeah it was like but a late night show with right, Fernando I'm Fiore. about a show that gave you the highlights and some conversation, like some fun, good conversation, but also educating you in the game. But you picked up all the three matches all in one nice package. So if a person that was working the whole day really had no time to look at anything, came back, 9 p.m., boom, you got the whole thing. And then the next day, they're like, oh, you know what? I want to watch this or whatever. And then the interest will grow. I think that really was missing. I didn't see that at all, actually. In Spain, I was catching games at 8 o'clock at night. I was catching games right. at 4 p.m. just because of the six-hour difference between the United States and Spain. And I'm like, man, everybody's watching at this hour. But here in the United States, it was completely different. And I was thinking, if you could maybe tape them and then put them on primetime and, you know, you somehow block the digital, the digital game, right? The digital stream live version. Yeah. That way you can't watch it. And there's no way to watch, let's say, Mexico, Brazil at all online or on TV, and then you save that game for the nighttime, even if you know the score. Because, you know, you're going you're gonna to end up knowing the score. But you want to see how they won. Right. So, or at least... Or at least the app gives you a service, but it's, you know, it's like how NBC did it with the Olympics. It's not exactly, you know, going to be advertised like crazy, but at least they give you the service. And if you really want to watch the game, you can watch it there. But really, it was going to be shown and highlighted really well in the evenings. Um, and then finally, I wanted to talk to you because you mentioned it a little while ago. You wrote an article about it is about the World Cup television coverage of Fox and Telemundo. Did you have a chance to analyze both networks coverage? Yeah, I actually went back and forth the entire tournament. All right, and uh, give us give us your recap, give us your summary on what you thought, who you thought was the better network for coverage, and what they did right and what they did wrong. Let's begin with Telemundo. I think Telemundo, first of all, did an excellent job at giving you the on-site during the game analysis led by Andres Cantor, but also Sami Sadovnik and, you know, Viviana Vila, who became the first woman in a Spanish-speaking U.S. network to give you play-by-play. -play. She was absolutely fantastic. They also had a great core of talent from ex-players to analysts. So you had a really nice sense that they were there for you. And that was really, really good. I felt that, you know, if you're a fan of the game, they really wanted to let you know, listen, we have a huge team here in Moscow and in every game to give you coverage, which is not what Fox did in mm -hmm. every game, mm -hmm. right? I think Telemundo's problem was what we talked about, which was I wish they would have kept going a little bit more in the after hours or in the post-game analysis. There was so much opportunity to talk about and show you highlights, not directly immediately after the game, but I'm talking like we were talking about, like in the evenings, where, you know, save some time in your channel, in the, in, you know, at 9 p.m., 10 p.m., to give me a good one-hour show where you're giving me the highlights, you're giving me analysis, and maybe a little bit, you know, of commentary. I think that yeah. really was the time wasted. I thought that the halftimes and the post-game analysis were so flooded and inundated with commercials that you would literally get like maybe three minutes of analysis and then like five minutes of commercial and then back yeah. to like 
superfluous analysis that didn't really mean anything uh, because there was no meat and potatoes behind what they were saying because they were rushing to get to commercials. And I felt that Fox was excellent at halftime coverage and excellent at post-game coverage. I thought Rob Stone is by far the best anchor for this World Cup and and for most sports that I've seen in quite a long time. I love Rob Stone, the ultimate professional. Um, I I love the team that they had. Interesting, though, they had Hernan Crespo. uh, They had Carlos, uh, I can't remember his name, from Mexico. And it was interesting because Hernan Crespo had such a problem in uh, in speaking English. Let's just be blunt about it. He had such mm. trouble getting the words out that, mira, as a Latino, I love having Hispanics on. But the problem is, is when you have a Hispanic that doesn't speak English properly and he's trying to be an, an, an analytical person about the game and it's troublesome for him to get the words out because it's not his main language, I think it's a failure of the producers for not getting another Hispanic that speaks English either perfectly or moderately. Um, And I thought that that was a problem with a lot of these pundits, experts, ex-athletes, ex-soccer players whose English wasn't well, who who, who didn't speak well. Yeah, I think that from Fox's side, I agree. I think Rob Stone was absolutely tremendous. Um, And, you know, it should be noted that my co-host Grant Wolf Oh, right. He was great. He had his he had his show. Um, You know, he did an incredible job. And I'm not just saying that because he's my friend and my co-host, but he gives a lot of like in-depth analysis that really is lacking in many places. But I got to tell you something. The star of this Fox thing was Allie Wagner. She was absolutely incredible. Her and Derek Ray had this great partnership on the you know commentating on games um and i thought she was not only good in giving play-by-play analysis but she gave you so much context it's just her and viviana villa just a perfect example of why we need more women Mm -hmm. not because it's just you know not because it's just the right thing to do but because it's the best thing to do they are so much better than like 80 percent of the men that i have to listen to and ali wagner was incredible i also thought Stuart holden was amazing oh yeah he was actually great and going back to your point about Hernan Crespo, I think that that is nothing to do with Hernan Crespo and what you said about before, which is like, I wish these departments had a bigger understanding and focus on who to bring in, when to bring in, how better to prepare them for what's coming, what kind of conversation is going to come ahead. Because if you give, if you bring in a, you know, a legendary player and a great person like Hernan Crespo, then, you know, you better have them ready. Telemundo was using the NBC Sports structure and model of the way they do their Premier League uh, Sunday shows on NBC Sports. And what did you think about that in particular? The production quality that was essentially NBC compared to Telemundo's version. Like, if you were to look at the way Univision covers their World Cup and the way... Telemundo covered their World Cup. You could tell that their that that the the passion, the 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 life, uh, the energy just wasn't there. This was very, I would say to a certain extent, very dry. I mean, you did have moments with the Nuevo Dia, which I don't necessarily understand that particularly. And I know it's like, <laughs> oh, you know, us Latinos want a morning show in the afternoon, you know, while uh, people who don't know anything about soccer talk about soccer. 
I, I didn't like that. I wanted experts, pundits. I wanted like that ESPN Deportes. I think ESPN Deportes has the best chemistry amongst panelists that I've seen in Latin American and Hispanic sports press. Those but guys argue those guys you yeah. you they, they they're provocative uh they they argue they debate well they're extremely articulate and smart um mm. that's the type of chemistry that i wanted on telemundo and i feel like i didn't get it because they were being so polished and so professional and so nbc sports like i don't know if it necessarily translated well see that's why we were talking about why you know, Un Nuevo Día, whatever, should have been maybe shorter. And you gave yes. us a show in the evenings where it was a perfect mixture of both. So that's what I'm like. Mm -hmm. That ESPN Deportes chemistry that you're talking about, it was a huge opportunity for them to do something in the evening mm -hmm. and do something like that. That would have been that would have been like the like sweet. Una Nueva Noche or something like that. You know, right. But, exactly. Or exactly. Titulares y Más, uh, which was another loss. What happened? And here's what happened. After the game finished, Un Nuevo Día came automatically. And in many ways, it had nothing to do with the game mm -hmm. or, or, the, or the World Cup. It was about celebrating our culture, which is I'm all for. But it was too much. It was trying to stupefy us a little bit too yes, much. Yes, that dumbing when, when, down. And we don't need that. No. We, we, we need celebrate our culture, but do it in different ways. I think that... There was definitely a place for Andres Cantor and his fantastic team. But then give me a night show where you have the highlights and you have like some other commentary. You don't need to have Un Nuevo Día for like a long time. Just, you know, celebrating the culture literally just by playing music. I love it, but I don't think it should be the entire thing, right? <laughs> uh, before you go, who's winning the whole thing? Man, we've been so wrong on everything. I feel like if I say it, like it's going to happen. Listen, um, I... Okay, England give me give a, me your brain and give me your heart's answer. I, I think my brain says France. Here's my, my prediction. Croatia is taking wow. the whole thing. Wow. Well, my friend, if that's true, I'm buying you a pisco sour, a ceviche, we'll take you out, and dinner's on me. <laughs> they haven't lost a game. But they haven't properly been tested, as, you know? So let's see. Well, listen, supposedly I, Argentina was the test. You got well, the best player in the world, right? Yeah, but you know what happened? Listen, Luka Modric is the best in the midfielder in the world. There's no doubt about it. But and I when you have Rakitic you, and Kovacic and Mandzukic yeah. and Perisic, Perisic and the, I mean, yeah. that's that's five guys let's that are like all-stars. And yes, I mean, look, Croatia, France would be the game to watch just because I think England just doesn't have the experience to handle these big games. And by the way, I also don't think they've been properly tested. They're going to be tested now with Croatia. Um, but we I don't think. See, but I, I think I let it blur the whole way. <laughs> All right, Luis. Hablamos. Muchísimas gracias. Muchísimas gracias, Guys, it's time we treated ourselves to some higher quality underwear because we deserve better. We deserve underwear that feels good, provides support, and leaves us feeling fresh down below. That's what sex underwear is all about. It's the only men's underwear that's actually designed with our anatomy in mind. When Saks first got started, they wondered, why can't men's underwear be better? The answer, the ballpark pouch, a 3D support system 
unlike anything else in men's underwear today. I use them and it feels like bliss. Everything stays put, no friction, you can move around comfortably in it, and then there's the breathable fabrics. Super soft, moisture wicking that repels BO. Since I started wearing Saks, I haven't wanted to wear anything else. I want you to feel the same way, so I've worked with Saks Underwear on this great limited time deal. Shop from anywhere on their site and get $5 off plus free shipping on your first purchase. But to get this great offer, you need to use my promo code HIGHLYRELEVANT at checkout. Order a few pairs at Saks right now with this great offer and go to Saks Underwear at saxxunderwear.com. That's Saks with two X's and use the promo code HIGHLYRELEVANT at checkout. Remember, saxunderwear.com. Promo code highly relevant. Mr. Sawyer, you are the very first family we have had in the residential section of the Pearl. After your security assessment, what do you think of the building? The Pearl is the most advanced, super tall structure in the world. It's a breathtaking achievement. But no one really knows what would happen if things go wrong. Let it burn. Mike, I can't believe that you think Skyscraper was a fun movie. Uh, you must have been in the theater with me. I, I, I couldn't wait to get out of there and really? to tweet and tell all my friends, including you right now in real time, how terrible and god-awful this movie was. I, you know, first of all, I got to disagree with you. Okay, I, I, I think... Uh, well, I'm going to say this, and then I want to hear why you hated it. Uh, it's a 50-50 movie. It's one of those movies I think critics either... you Either you, you enjoy it, you kind of... It's a matter of your, perspective. It's yeah. what side or of you the fence it. are you at? Okay. So, I only have one question for you. What were your expectations going in? I thought that this was going to be... Come on, let's be honest. The marketing behind this film, they threw a lot of money behind this film. This isn't like yes. no straight-to-DVD film. I mean, it had, from the poster, from everything, it had some of that cheesy 80s action film vibe Abs off the bat. But because it's Dwayne The Rock Johnson, and at this point you're expecting solid quality films from him, uh, because you know he's the guy that comes into a film and saves it. He's the doctor. He's the surgeon for a film. He's the good luck charm. You know that's why he gets paid all the money. That's why he's the biggest movie star in Hollywood. And so I'm expecting something of great quality. And as soon as I saw uh, the leg issue, the handicap issue, his vulnerability, I said, this is a straight-up drama. They're going for gold here on this one. So, oh, yeah. So I I had high expectations for the film. Well, you know, okay. That's interesting that you said that because I, I kind of had the converse. I, 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 I saw the poster. It looked like a cross between Towering Inferno and Die Hard to me. And you know me. I, I don't, I don't really, I don't read the synopsis as much as I, unless I have to. I, I don't want to watch a trailer because I want to be surprised. And I didn't expect much. I didn't think that much of Rampage. I thought it was okay. You know, a solid B movie. And, you know, yes, The Rock is or Dwayne Johnson is franchise Viagra. But you got to look at most of his. <laughs> his <laughs> 
<laughs> you gotta look. At, you gotta I look at most that. of his successes. Oh my God, okay, <laughs> most of his successes are just that: energizing a franchise where he becomes a power player in a series where he's either part of an ensemble or he's leading an ensemble. The films where he's the main character have never quite really been super over the top it's always when he comes into some franchise you look at every all of his biggest hits that that's my take on him now can he carry a movie yeah uh is he doing things or trying to expand you know like you said he's got the leg issue and then he's got you know you know family uh in jeopardy and a clear you know uh, there are a lot of things about it that were by the numbers uh, let's say, say screenplay 101, three-act structure, all the stuff that you expect, difficult choice at the end, all of that stuff's there. But it, it, because it's The Rock, it, he elevates things just a little bit. It's, it's, I thought it was a fun concept, but I really didn't go in expecting it's, it's sort of like Jurassic Park. I, 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 it's a dinosaur movie. I'm expecting some fun dinosaurs and there's going to be a dinosaur that breaks free and there's going to, you know, so for me, this hit all the points I wasn't expecting. Actually, it was a little bit better than I expected it to be. Because I really did not expect it to be good at all. Before I give you my reasons of why I thought this movie was terrible. Yes. Uh, no, I, I'm not going to say I can defend it. I no. do want to let everybody no. know what movie we're talking about here once again. Uh, it's called Skyscraper, and it's directed by Rawson Thurber. And uh, he had recently uh, directed uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson in Central Intelligence, along with Kevin Hart. They had a conversation uh, where Rawson supposedly told The Rock, hey, dude, you know, now that I'm looking at you, I think you can do a different type of role, which is that vulnerable, uh, charming guy, but, you know, more of a dramatic actor, I think is what he was looking for. And the genre he wanted to do with this with, because he's such an 80s action movie geek, was this diehard meets the towering inferno in Hong Kong. And the Hong Kong wasn't because I'm sure he, you know, back in the 80s, Hong Kong movies were, were, were a lot more mainstream than what they are today. And either he threw that in, but I think it was more of a business decision, simply because everyone knows at this point that China, China makes about $9 billion at the box office annually. And supposedly now it's it's alleged that China is now on path to overtake the U.S. in the next several years as the biggest film market in the world. Oh, it already is. It's already surpassed. It surpassed it two years ago. Dude. Okay. Well, yes. Yeah. yeah. So it had like an 100%. off year last year, and then it's now back. It's definitely. Yeah. Absolutely. And and a lot of the box office from the United States depends on that China premiere. Everyone knows that. Sometimes they launch films there. But I think that I, I don't know if everybody knows this, and I'm not sure President Trump knows this. <laughs> you know, but there's a key problem when you when you see these types of film strategies being applied within a film because it's almost like sponsor sponsorship integration, and it, in this particular case, it's cultural integration. That's that's obviously strategic, and the scenes with Nev Campbell. And the Chinese officials were some of the worst movie scenes I have seen all year. Terrible. I mean, god awful. And I kept on saying to myself, "This cannot be excellence of cinema." 
This cannot be, oh, oh, it's a summer film, man. Just chill out. Tone it down. I'm the first guy to be like, hey, I like bad movies that are good, but this is a bad movie that's bad. The fact that he leaped, I don't know, it looked like a thousand feet from crane to building, and then when a similar situation arises later on in the film, which is a much smaller distance, they treat it with equal equal danger. So it was all these Swiss cheese moments that the movie could never somehow explain. But no, I'm supposed to swallow that that poison pill all the time. And the humor. Oh, oh no, but Jack, it, it, it was really an action comedy. No, it was not an action comedy. This is a straight up action film. By the way, with a protagonist, a hero that at the beginning never sets a tone that this dude has a comic bone in his body. Everything was treated with seriousness and love for his family, the war vet, you know, who became a private sector uh, security uh, building uh, inspector or manager. And he's trying to save his family, but he's handicapped one leg that he lost in the war. That, I mean, that's all treated with, with a certain level of gravitas. So when all these jokes all of a sudden kick in, they're not deliberate. They're unintentional, and that is when a movie is officially bad. Okay, well, I think, first of all, you need to come out of your shell (laughs) and tell me what you really thought of the movie, okay? (laughs) Well, you know... Don't get me started, Mike Sargent. Okay, okay. first of all, I I can't disagree with with some of the poor writing. Uh, This is true. And there's definitely there there are a lot of things that are leaned on here, you know this film that leans on the the rock's personality. They've they've nuanced it. I see why he wanted to do it. He wanted to play a character who was vulnerable and 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 has you know Dramatic. something. Dramatic. He, to, he, want, he yeah, wants to yeah. go from an action star to a drama actor. Well, I, I think he he'll have the opportunity to do that. But this is an action movie. This is a, like you said a summer action movie, and summer action movies do have humor. No matter how much drama is in there, there's still humor. This and, was a that setup because in Die Hard, Bruce Willis from the get-go was had that Spider-Man New York humor where everything but, but, coming but, out of his mouth but, was funny. But, but think about this, okay? That's because they cast Bruce Willis. Now, you probably know the story behind Die Hard. Bruce Willis was not the first choice. He was like the seventh choice. And none of those people had comedy chops. They wanted an action star. That Burt Reynolds was going to be in this movie. There are a whole bunch of people that were supposed to be in Die Hard that turned it down. And it's because of Bruce Willis. And I again, I feel that's because it's Dwayne Johnson. There are certain things, and I mean, that's its strength and its weakness. There are certain things where it's just Dwayne Johnson. He, he, he almost breaks the fourth wall in terms of he's this, uh, I think he was described as being sort of a, a you know, a soft-hearted guy and a, a hard body. Okay, and that's that's who he is. Yeah, the lovable and bear, the lovable bear that could snap your neck. So he <laughs> he he, do, he he does these things in there where he's like he he's got one leg but he's still kicking your ass. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> no, no, no. So, you got to say it in the trailer voice. He's got exactly. one leg. He's got one leg, but he'll still kick your ass. 
Dwayne Johnson skyscraper. <laughs> so, that, so that's that's pretty much it. So you buy that. I mean, oh come on, he's, he's kicking. He's one leg kicking ass great. in this movie. If you can't laugh at that, I mean. You no, know. but but this is what I'm saying. Look, so, we know that the films that intentionally, deliberately let you know that this is going to be a comedy uh, or a, a, a an action thriller with comical relief, and they indicate this by the hero's sense of humor. They indicated maybe by the supporting cast, the ensemble, uh, the extras in the in, in the city. Like, for example, in Spider-Man, the hot dog guy comes out. He's like, hey, you, come here, you web-slinging fool. You know, things like that that let you know, oh, okay, this is a light movie in terms of drama. We're not going to see that much drama. Here, that was never, ever. Uh, you know, I have to disagree with you, dude, because, I mean, no one goes to a Dwayne Johnson movie expecting oh, some serious drama here. The Rock is going to uh, do Shakespeare. No one's going in look, thinking that. They're going in to see The Rock kick ass, whether he's got one leg or two or if he's in a suit or, 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 or flying around like he's going to be but in Black Adam. what's exposition for if it's not going to be used properly? When I say exposition, I'm talking about the first quarter of the film that sets the tone for the rest of the film of what we can expect. Once okay, you deviate from that, then you got two separate films. I, or you know, again, have a I, disjointed film that doesn't even have, follow the same uh, I, vibe, tone, and pace. See, I come back to what you're expecting. I disagree again. I'll tell you why. Because, okay, you cast The Rock, okay? <laughs> you're not doing it for the show this guy in a wheelchair. You're doing it somehow. He's The Rock, and he's going to kick ass. Even though he's got one leg, and he doesn't do this. I haven't picked up a gun in 10 years, okay? <laughs> he hasn't picked up a gun in 10 years. He's got one leg, but yeah. guess what? When the time comes, he's going to jump on that skyscraper, <laughs> kick ass, and, and roll around and save everybody, okay? <laughs> Come on. You weren't going in there expecting an Oscar. He wasn't going for the gold. <laughs> That's just, that's my opinion. Uh, listen, I never yes. said to you that this was supposed to be, you know, the Greek, you know, actor of our times, you know, Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Never did I say that, but I was expecting like an action thriller with a la the Towering Inferno. There were no jokes being cracked. I mean... This was like airplane meets towering Furthermore, than it was Die Hard. It, there was well, there was. Well, I think. Okay, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, it, it's. I think that my biggest problem with the film was how it was insulting my own intelligence in terms of what how good this movie could be. This was. I thought this was going to be the epic action thriller of the summer. And, well, and mm, okay, I'm listening. And so I felt that big epic films like that don't drop the ball the way this movie did in so many ways. In terms of just just logical continuity, verisimilitude, it didn't have any of that. The jokes, some of them were not intentional. And the ones that were supposedly intentional didn't fall well because I was there with the rest of the crowd. 
And so well, all those uh, little disjointed efforts accumulated in my brain and my experience was 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 that alone? Yeah. Bad movie. Bad movie. All right. Well, you know what? I can't disagree with any point you're making there. The writing definitely and and when it tried to be funny, sometimes it was trying, it was just not clever. Some of the banter between characters was definitely lame. Okay. And some of the Oh, the, and the, the villains. Come on. The villains. You can't get any more two-dimensional cardboard than those guys. That was drawn by a five-year-old, these villains. Well, you know, again, uh, I, I, oh, but I it's cannot a Dwayne, argue. But it's The Rock no, I can't. No, movie, no, no, no. So. I cannot argue. I'm not saying that he's in it and you got to forgive all the crap. I'm saying that, yes, uh, there are a lot of things about it that, that, you know, in the hands of a better rewriter, you know, uh, and, and it's funny because I just finished doing a, a webinar today on, on screenwriting, so I'm in that head. But yes, a better writer could. You, there's there are a lot of things they could have done to polish this up because I thought that it was a pretty decent story there. Yeah, okay? absolutely. The, 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 this writer's strength was much more about story than yes, they were that's about what I dia dialogue and characterization. Felt ladled on like that let's put a layer of cow give him one leg you know it's stuff like that it didn't feel organic and natural it's like okay she can handle herself because what she's an army surgeon okay so you know there are certain things that they're kind of action conventions so i i didn't mind but yes you're right it is definitely not going to be remembered as a classic though it gives a nod to you know classic I know what they were trying genre. to do, Mike. It's exactly what you're saying. These guys wanted to sort of pay tribute to a lot yes. of the nostalgia of That's those films that they're no longer made. So if we can do a replica, uh, 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 a new facsimile, facsimile yes. of those movies we loved so much, we can get our kicks and... To those 40 and 50 year olds, oh my God, they're going to eat it up. But because it's Dwayne The Rock Johnson, he has a huge wrestling fan base and now a new movie fan base. We're going to get all those people and it's summer and it's an action film starring Dwayne The Rock. Oh, this is in the bag. Now, the movie was supposedly what I read was one hundred and twenty million dollars to make. And it's going to make about 30 to forty five million dollars or I'm sorry, 40 to 50 million dollars around there. Uh, at the box office. That's not good. Well, again, I think this is a movie, like I said, it's a 50-50 movie. It's only got like a 51% on, on Rotten Tomatoes, which is which is not great. It, it, you know, it is it is derivative. Uh, it, it's it's not, like you said, that 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 epic action thriller. I think I think that's got it's going against it because it it is what it is. You want it to be epic. And it's not epic. There are a couple of great stunts. There's some fun stuff in there, but it's not I heard not Mission epic. Impossible. I just read the latest reviews uh, coming out. Uh, They're saying this is the action juggernaut that it well, promised to there's, be. There's no comparison between Mission Impossible and this movie, dude. I, I've seen Mission Impossible. There's oh, no, you saw Mission no, Impossible? I'm seeing oh, it yes. this coming Monday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll talk about it after you see it, but there's no comparison. There's no comparison. He's on another level of writer, the the the, the writer of the but Mission this Impossible. This is what I wanted to see. This is what I thought I might have been getting, at least something close yeah, but to it. Chris Macquarie? Come on. Chris Macquarie is on a, in a class by himself. This guy, what's his name? Rob... 
See, there's even a problem. Rawson, Rawson Thurber. I'm sorry, Rawson Marshall Thurber. Yeah, you know, I thought this this is I didn't think that much of Central Intelligence. I thought it was okay. Yeah, well, I thought that he personally, The Rock, that was his worst performance uh, that I've seen in any film he's been in. I don't know what he was trying to be like a like a nerd, but with muscles, and I just didn't like the persona. Yeah, well, you're talking about in in central intelligence. Central Intel- yeah, I, I felt the same. Well, you know, again, you got to look also at at. at, at I didn't think he career. nailed that character. Yeah. No, well, Thurber, his, his background, you know, he's an actor, and he he his claim to fame is dodgeball. You know, he wrote and directed that. Oh, the one and, with the uh, yes, Will Ferrell, <laughs> <laughs> and you know that probably is still considered his best film. And for me, that's not a film that I would consider a great film. No. That's his best. No, no. So so finally, uh, what was it that you actually enjoyed from this film? Well, what I enjoyed, the observations, I'll tell you, but I want okay, to hear your own I'll personal. tell you what I enjoyed. I enjoyed, uh, I enjoyed the setup for the film. I enjoyed, I kind of, you know, there's a pleasure in watching something that's well-constructed. You know, there are definitely flaws. Like you said, there's some Swiss cheese there, but I enjoyed the setup of like, okay, this is what this character has to do. I like uh, him enough that I'm going to see how much fun he has with the whole concept. You know, there, there are a lot of things that, you know, because we see a hall of mirrors, there's going to be a hall of mirrors. You know, because he says, uh, you know, turn it off and turn it on. She's going to turn something off and turn it on. You, there are a lot of things that are set up and pay off. So you could see those as bad things. I, I, I felt that they were, you know, they were fun because it, it stayed in its lane. It never rose to any other level uh, beyond that. But again, once I got in that lane, you talked about the tone. I also have to say, I think Die Hard changed action films forever. Forever. Where, and, and, and I think it, it not only in premise and everything, but the idea of making sure there's humor with the action hero. I don't think there's been an action hero that has not had humor in a successful action film since Die Hard. Oh yeah. Okay. Uh, all the Mel, and, Gim- Mel Gibson all of it. Uh, and and that was definitely weapon films. All of them. Yes. Uh, Eddie they Murphy all, action films, uh, 48 Hours, yeah. So I, I think action comedy came into its own in the 80s. Uh, also, at the same time, this big muscle, you know, you had Schwarzenegger and Dolph Lundgren and the Muscle Man uh, action films. And and he's he's the natural progression of those guys. And this film could have been the natural progression of that. But again, I enjoyed it because I felt that it didn't try hard to be too much more than it should be. You disliked it because you thought it could have been no because i thought that if they maintained the tone that they were selling us which is the dramatic dwayne johnson who is handicapped a man who his whole identity is based on being a superhero essentially in real life and looking like one um to see him that vulnerable physically i thought was the golden egg for him and if it maintains some level of verisimilitude, some realism that one can go, okay, that makes sense. 
the jump was the buildup to that one scene, and then everything thereafter was stunts that were a bit inferior to be able to maintain that as the highlight of your movie-watching experience, if they would have maintained that level of realism, I would have been okay. It would have taken another rewrite. That's what it would have taken. It would have taken another rewrite, and I thought it would have been as competitive in the summer action films that we've had this year with Jurassic World and Avengers, etc., but it, it, it was like, hey, this is a wink and a nod for all you nostalgia nerds. Uh, it's kind of bad, kind of like the other ones from the 80s were too. Ha, 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 ha. No, man, you kind of screwed it up for me. So that's my particular opinion. I do want to say that for anyone that wants to see go wants to go see the film and you're like, man, thing is, Mike made a lot of good points to go see the film, but Jack made some good points not to see the film. Here's my overall summary on the film. If you just love Dwayne The Rock Johnson and you want to see whatever he he's in, go for it. Is it so bad that it's not worth watching at all? No, it's not worth 20 bucks in 3D and 25 and $100 for the whole family. I don't think so. But if you're going at 11 in the morning and it's like a $7 deal... It's not breaking the bank in any way. You're not feeling guilty because you missed the money. Go watch it. I think it's more of a DVD film, a straight-to-DVD film, than it is a theatrical, epic, summer flick. Well, there's some pretty big stunts that look good on the big screen. I got to say that. That's true. That's true. But, you know, a lot of this stuff was CGI. I I saw it a mile away. The, the, The effects weren't that great. I didn't have any issue with the. It's just the cheese on this film, man. Was just, was just incredible to me. Uh, You know, I understand that bad movies can sometimes be comfort food for for many moviegoers. I I get it, because I'm a defender of bad movies. When you work so hard, Jack, your brain defender of bad movies. (laughs) (laughs) No, but I mean, let's look at this. Let's look at this realistically. Sometimes your brain is fried, man. From like overlooking documents and papers or looking at your computer for, you know, 10, 12 hours. I've been in those situations. You're fried and all you want to do is zone on something that allows your brain to somewhat recover your motor skills. And bad movies for some reason are perfect because they don't use up that much cellular neurons for you to have to put extra effort in figuring out a film. That's why most people who are fried don't want to watch like The Matrix or maybe they do <laughs> if they're high or something like that. It's true. But it's true. they want to watch something dumb, something that is brainless. And if you want to watch something brainless, this is a perfect movie to watch. All right, well, you know, I don't think it's completely brainless. I think you're being harsh. You're a harsh critic, Jack. <laughs> But, um, but uh, you know, I can't say that it's a great movie, but I didn't really didn't think it was terrible. I, I did enjoy it. I, I had a lot of fun with it. And, and I went in with, with fairly low expectations. Uh, and and it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, I would say it's consistently amusing. That's what I would say. Consistently entertaining. Though you said it could have been a golden egg and you think he'd laid a different kind of egg. It's <laughs> <laughs> basically what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, I hope you guys uh, enjoyed uh, this conversation, this debate that we had. Um, Mike, I I enjoy doing these with you. I wish I could do them 
for every single episode, you and I have talked about doing our own podcast. Yes, that will come. That has to come. Yes. I think people will really enjoy these conversations um, because I know I do. So uh, thanks a lot for being on the podcast uh, today, my man. Thank you. All right. Thank you, man. That's it for episode 84 of the Highly Relevant Podcast. I want to thank Luis Miguel Echegaray and Mike Sargent for chatting with me, and I hope you guys enjoyed the conversation as well. If you'd like to support the show by sharing us on your social media and telling all your friends about it, remember, it's through your word of mouth that our show can grow. I'm Jack Rico. See you next week on another episode of Highly Relevant. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.